This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. The show is all about talking about race, diversity, and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. We talk about all these huge life things through the lens of people's lives and stories. I hope every yarn you take a wee gem from it and expands your heart and mind just a wee bit more. Kia ora, alaikum. Welcome to another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, this week's episode is going to be very very raw and not scripted um I haven't done any research it would just be me speaking from the heart um I am always very very honest on the show and share quite a lot of my life and um today I had my first counseling appointment and gosh I just feel so like light and um even though it was one session, it was just so healing and it brought up um, a whole range of emotions and and, in a good way, it brought up a whole lot of emotions and I kind of wanted to talk about more about the emotional side of the uh, immigrant experience. Um, But before we get into the that conversation i want to talk about something else very briefly um my my sister or oh, has this fun rule of like not actually calling covid covid um but wanted to have a quick chat about um the miss rona so she has a rule that she doesn't call it covid 19 but just like gives it fun little nicknames so here we go taking inspiration from my sister but i just wanted to talk about um Miss Miss Rona for a second and so we all know that New Zealand is currently at red level and you know it does bring up a whole lot of emotions and there's a lot of information out there but your girl's got your back so if you want to know what to do to protect your your yourself your family and your friends and help slow the spread of Omicron um, this is what you got to do So wear a face covering when you leave the house and it needs to be an actual mask. So things like scarves, bandanas, t-shirts should not be used. And I'm not going to lie, I think I've done this like once. There was one time where I just forgot all of my masks at home. And because I wear a hijab, I just kind of like tied it in a way where I still covered my hair. And then it covered my mouth as well. But from the 4th of February that will no longer be allowed so it have to be an actual mask and um, for workers who are mandated to be vaccinated will need to wear medical grade one um, and you'll still need to wear your mask when you're at food and drink businesses close proximity businesses and events and gatherings and you can take your mask off to eat drink or exercise um, have your my vaccine pass ready to be scanned when you go to places. Most places will require you to have your my vaccine pass. And this is a very clear thing that um, my husband Arthur has introduced. So he just took a screenshot of my pass and it's made it my lock screen. So I don't actually have to unlock my phone. I can just show my phone straight away. And um, on this note, actually, of vaccination passes, because it 
and I only know this because I work at a pharmacy, it's not very accessible for a lot of people to get their vaccination pass so easily. Um, and there's lots of reasons why for that. Perhaps, you know, it's a child that doesn't have a passport or like the right documentation or someone who's just come over from overseas you know there's lots of reasons why it's not so accessible to get my vaccine pass but if you're struggling to get your pass just go to a pharmacy that does administer vaccinations and they'll be able to print it off for you as well as forward that email to your email account so you can still have a digital copy of it as well um, if you choose to vaccinate, get a booster dose if you're over 18 and it's been four months since your last dose and four months to the exact day. So if you got it, for example, on the 14th of October, the four months mark will reach on the 14th of February. I hope I've done that quick mess right, but it has to be to the exact day and it cannot be done if it's a couple of days earlier. Um, and you can book your appointment using my uh, using book my vaccine uh, there's also a 0800 number uh, 0800 28 29 26 uh, to book your vaccinations or you can just visit a walk-in clinic um, and this is this message is specifically to Dunedin but if you're 12 or over there are walk-in appointments available at Meridian Mall um, but you can find out the information on the Unite Against COVID or just Google walk-in vaccination clinic and your region and there are translation services available um, and there's an option to use NZ Relay services which is amazing because we need to honor the diversity in our community and if we want you know most of New Zealand to be vaccinated we need to honor that diversity and make it easier and accessible so yeah it's amazing to have those translation services um which is amazing but enough talk about Miss Rona and yeah talking about talking honestly about the the emotional side of the migrant experience oh actually no sorry there's um something else that i wanted to talk about before sorry this episode's a little bit chaotic today um remember how i used to sometimes bring up like racist moment of the week i've actually got a fresh <laughs> racist moment of the week to to bring up for this episode and the beautiful thing about this racist moment of the week it's not just me talking about the injustice that happened but also talking about just the beauty of humanity so I was at work, we told this customer um, something they were unhappy with, um, but you know, we just have to follow the rules. And um, their response to that was just being subpar humans and not behaving great. And his insult to me was, you Indian curry piece of beep um I'm going to smash your head in and in my head I'm just thinking well actually first of all you've got the wrong country mate but I don't even bother correcting him because I feel like if someone was going to say something like that they're probably not too concerned about where I'm actually from they probably just saw 
you know, my brown skin and they were like, oh, yep, I know exactly where she's from. Um, so, you know, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't had a moment that direct in such a long time. It kind of was a bit like, whoo, okay. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about afterwards, because this often doesn't happen when I talk about my racist moments of the week. There were witnesses there and said witnesses supported me. They were like, nah, like, you know, calling this guy out and then coming up to me afterwards and checking in with me and making sure I was okay. And it was um, really nice. It was honestly very, very nice. And the fact that I'm like emphasizing how nice it was is because people don't actually say anything. Um, the bystander effect is very real and most often than not, even if people see something happening, they won't say anything and, uh, for, you know, for various reasons, um, but they just won't say anything. And so for people to witness what that man said to me and, you know, support me stand in solidarity and um check in with me that meant a lot like it's actually it's it's uh, if I had to put this in a metaphor it's like softened the blow it's like love padding um when it could have just been a very sharp um kiss with the ground you know so um just the importance of saying that you know using your voice when something um wrong is happening right in front of your eyes means a lot and you know in all of our journeys for um allyship using our voice to stand up for others and check in with others it means a lot um so that's my takeaway for racist moment of the week um but getting back to what I really really wanted to talk about um I you know I spoke about all sorts of things um in my counseling appointment today but one of the things that it like what made me want to talk about the my counseling appointment today on the show was just talking about the concept of filial or filial I've actually never said that word out loud I hope I'm saying it correctly um filial duty and it's you know your duty to your family and um the way that this duty has kind of shown up in my life and especially as of late um it's been quite conflicting it really has been quite conflicting um it's made me question my identity it's made me question as a you know muslim somali kiwi woman where exactly uh, do my values lie and where is the line drawn so for those of you who haven't heard of that term um it's this duty this sense of obligation and duty to your family and i suppose when i say it like that it kind of has negative connotations of in the sense that you're not doing things for your family out of love you're doing it out of obligation um, and you just have to do it anyway and that's not how it um 
shows up for me that's not how it shows up for me I mean of course I'm always gonna do things for my family because I absolutely adore them even if I don't always understand or I don't um, endorse you know I, I will do things for my family and I think that's one thing that I always um, struggle with and I wish um, those who don't have uh, who don't have that in their culture it's a predominant feature in their culture would understand like sometimes when I would you know talk about my experiences with my non-ethnic friends it was always the sense of oh like poor you this must suck like oh you must be itching to get away from your family or um oh it must it must suck to be tied down and this attitude like just this assumed attitude is what is one of the things that I really struggle with and probably you know one of the reasons why uh, I was very particular when I was trying to pick a counsellor to begin with because you know I have had experiences before where um, you know I've shared my life story and it's been with someone who is um, Pakiha, so it doesn't have that understanding and you know that assumption kind of comes through in their practice and it, it just doesn't sit right with me I think that assumption is quite dangerous I mean we even see it in the media where you know there are stories of like it doesn't even have to be Muslim girls but I swear I swear to god there's just always stories of some like some ethnic person who has come to a western country there's like conflict between the two cultures um and you know they like let go of their culture and like embrace their new western culture and the assumption is that like oh you know you know they're free from their family um and it's that same attitude that I've like heard in person time and time again as well it's like this assumption that because there is this duty to our family we want to run away from that duty and like physically emotionally spiritually in every sense like separate ourselves from our family and our culture and it's it's not like that like we I think you have to have some kind of understanding to understand when those who do experience it complain about it because it is it is very sensitive um, and you know not not only would it show up in the health space like at school for example um, within friends so on a social aspect and then yeah like the poor representation in the media as well and it's a lot more complicated than that um, and this is why I really wanted to talk about it on the show because um, you know when it comes to talking about solidarity and being a better ally there needs to be this removal of assumptions and replaced with this deep um, desire to understand. And I hope listening to this is one way of deepening that understanding. There are many ways that you can deepen your understanding. Um, 
but it's the assumptions that come through um, and it's quite harmful and I think the assumptions are a huge barricade in understanding each other and a huge barricade in being better allies um, and being better buddies in solidarity so yeah so there's a sense of duty um, and family is number one I, I think I've, sp- I've spoken about this on the show before where I've explained that you know in my culture it's not just about um, it's not just about you as an individual you know the lines between I and we well there is no line really the the two are intertwined and you know you as a person of course exists but as you move through life and as you try to navigate everything that comes at you it's done with the unit of we so you as an individual become part of this um wider unit and it's from that wider unit that you operate from and so with this wider unit because you're not operating from yourself for yourself your the obligation lies with the wider unit and yeah it's been it's been a strange tension I think as I am discovering who I am more and where my values lie and you know culturally who am I uh, how do I act and behave on said values and at what level am I dedicated to it and, and do I practice it right as I'm trying to figure this out how I feel towards um, this sense of duty becomes harder as well and um, I just want to paint the picture of like what the what's going on in the background for this duty so I mean I'm like first generation because my parents were the ones who migrated here and I'm actually I'm curious to have this kind of conversation with you know with a family that's been here for multiple generations but I feel like it's even more stressed um, within the first generation right because my parents put everything they had together um, to come to this country and they sacrificed a huge amount um, sacrificed a huge amount to even be here and then coming here to New Zealand a country that is you know not their culture a country that has a completely different set of values a country where they feel as if their children can get lost and they have no and if they did get lost they wouldn't know how to get them back the language is very different um all your previous life experiences you know completely invalidated like my dad had to restudy coming back oh coming to New Zealand because his previous study wasn't um considered at all um, and I think that's an another 
that adds another layer to this obligation thing because often what you'll find is that because previous life experiences and education isn't recognized upon arrival to Aotearoa um, often migrants will go for the jobs where you don't really need to have any kind of education you can quickly be skilled up because you know the pressure to make money is very real because now you have a whole family to provide for in a country that is not yours so that means um that is not your home country i mean so that means you know you're not going to have a rich network of family and friends that you can call upon when times get tough that's literally just just you just you providing for this family and so often and i'm just speaking for the smiley community now because that is the migrant community that i belong to um often you'll find lots of um you know smiley taxi drivers just because that's a job that you can get into very quickly and 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 make money and i think that makes it even harder because you know if our parents had the choice this this wouldn't be it driving taxis and and being cleaners and and and, you know they wanted more for their lives as well but you know their new life their new dream is providing for their children so the children can get those opportunities that they never had and so that's one aspect to it and then like from the first generation point of oh and I know I actually want to add another layer to it and I think the difference between the generations right like in our parents think that there is no like there's no reason to complain in life like what you have been given is you know the cards that you have been dealt with and you just need to make the most and move on and um and I think it's different when you contrast it to like our generation we don't want to just survive we want to thrive and more importantly um we want to heal as well and I'm not in saying that I'm not saying that our parents don't want to heal but it's just not the way that they were brought up to go and seek help to go and process you know whatever trauma it is that they've gone through because moving to a new country is very traumatic and I think you know things have it's not the best and it's not ideal now but things have gotten better over time like the New Zealand that my younger siblings are growing up in is very different to what I remember um, growing up in because there is a 15 year gap between me because I'm the eldest in my family and um, the youngest in the family Um, yeah there's a 15 year gap between us which is like a significant amount of time and yeah so much has changed and the things that they're talking about and concerned about is really different to um, what I was talking about and concerned about but you know racism still has a grip in New Zealand nevertheless and that's very traumatic Um, it is very traumatic um, dealing with 
racism and the many shapes and forms that it comes up in um I strongly think that uh, racism is a mental health issue because it's essentially dehumanizing um, a group of people based on their ethnicity and for no other reason. I mean, there's no good reason to um, dehumanize anyone, um, but you know, to dehumanize based on ethnicity, which is something that no one can change, but making people feel lesser than. Um, and for that feeling to translate into our systems. So, you know, those opportunities that our parents fought so hard for and sacrificed so much for, it's not as easily accessible anyway because the virtue of hard work can only get you so far, I believe. Um, but, you know, going back to the point that racism is a mental health issue, um, it is it's traumatizing because you know you're essentially being told um you're not worth it you like that is the 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 deep messaging that racism um sends and so to to deal with that and to move away from your key social network as well that is very traumatic like i am very close to all of my siblings and to think I cannot even begin to imagine you know a moment in my life where we wouldn't be in regular contact um, or I wouldn't be able to reach out to them or we wouldn't be able to help each other out that's really heartbreaking um, and yeah social connections are so important to your sense of well-being and so that first generation moving to a new country is traumatic but because our parents grew up with the sense of you can't complain you just move on essentially it is what it is that kind of attitude there is no room for healing um, but that trauma is still carried right and so I feel like our generation we're the ones who go seek therapy and we're the ones who try to heal and try to thrive in ways that our parents couldn't and and it just makes the sense of obligation even harder because you absolutely well I'm just speaking for myself now but I absolutely I love my family so much and I adore my culture and it is a source of strength and power and I'm very blessed and lucky um, to you know have another worldview to carry inside of me um, and to then gift to um, my future children to come it's a beautiful thing I think I just personally what I struggle with is like where does my life, you know, who owns my life and where is my life going to go? Um, and things like having conversations around boundaries as well, like boundaries and that sense of obligation, it very much clashes um, because there is that unit of we, like whatever happens to you happens 
to me, it happens to all of us. Um, and so all these things that we talk about, not even just in the mental health space, but it's like just conversations that I had a lot at school and at uni and, you know, we have a huge awareness of it from the Western point of view. It's just not, there's no room for that um, often in ethnic cultures um, because there's that sense of obligation. That obligation means that there is a hierarchy and your your elders' words mean more than anything. And so I think essentially what I'm just trying to say is that it's very complicated and you know if your ethnic friend is complaining or just having a vent about how complicated this situation is um please don't assume because we love our families we love our culture it's just hard navigating it and trying to figure out um trying to figure out what what's going on and where we lie and um I suppose the other aspect to the immigrant experience is the <clears throat> the storytelling and how we share stories with each other. And there is this particular um, Rupi Kaur poem and it kind of uh, captures this feeling. And so I'll, I'll read it out loud now. And it's, I want to go back in time and sit beside her. Document her in a home movie so my eyes can spend the rest of their lives witnessing a miracle. The one whose life I never think of before mine. I want to know what she laughed about with friends. In the village within houses of mud and brick, surrounded by acres of mustard plant and sugar cane. I want to sit with the teenage version of my mother. Ask her about her dreams. Become her pleated braid. The black coal caressing her eyelids. The flower neatly packed into her fingertips. And page in her school books. Even to be a single thread of her cotton dress would be the greatest gift. Um, and it's called To Witness a Miracle. And um, that's the other side to this. Um, the Another side to this emotional aspect of the migrant experience. And the, the role that story um, storytelling plays a role in that so storytelling in Somali culture is foundational in learning about your history and learning about your ancestry your culture your values everything storytelling is everything and the idea is that the older generations sit down and tell the younger generations um who they are, where they've come from, etc, etc, etc. And, you know, back home, this would happen over long dinners and cups of shah, um, which is like Somali tea, and, you know, just having that integral relationship, right? And I think some of those stories are translated weirdly when you then move to another country, right? Some stories are emphasized, some stories are forgotten about, some stories are rewritten, some stories um, are misunderstood. Like the storytelling is translated in a 
weird way. And this makes me pine for these intimate moments that are kind of described in the poem above, right? Like, I I don't know anything about what plants surrounded my mum and dad's place. I don't know what their dreams were, um, what they were wearing, doing, thinking, talking about. I just have no idea. Like, I feel, and again, I'm not just I'm not just talking for the whole um, Somali migrant community. I'm just talking for myself, me, myself, and I now. Um, I feel like the storytelling got translated in a way that it was out of fear for losing the culture, um, and doing things out of fear. Oh my goodness! I know that if you know for those who are tuning in you can't actually see where I am right now but literally as I spoke about doing things out of fear I look to the uh, wall and there's a big spider there okay stay cool and I'll stay cool um, but anyways when you do things out of fear I feel like that's a misrepre- misrepresentation of the truth and there is this other there's a full story out there that I'm yet to explore and I'm very much looking forward to whenever the time comes where I go to Somalia for the first time and meet the rest of my family for the first time and get to know these these intimate details and understand the landscape and the scenery and and all the stories that are contained within the family um, and hope I'm hoping once that experience happens um, it will be grounding and anchoring and I can um, hopefully have the agency to figure out where I want to place myself once I have the full picture I just don't have the full picture yet um, and you know I know that there's a wide spectrum of um, experiences in the migrant community there are those who do have the full picture and um, there are those that have very little and some in between and you know some of the storytelling hasn't been um, lost in translation but for you know for some it is and when that storytelling is lost in translation it's it's harder to kind of establish that relationship and perhaps um impacts how you see that obligation um how you see your family how you see your culture and how you see your new home um but it is i don't know it's just a very complex emotional landscape the migrant experience is and it's something that we just um, don't talk about enough and I wish we did because um, you know large population of the world uh, we're all migrants we've all come from somewhere else and um Migration is a beautiful thing, but it also can be a traumatic thing. And I think on mass, we kind of all need a space to heal and connect and learn and grow um, because it does 
cause like you know if, if it's left unresolved or if people aren't taking the time to understand and empathize with each other it can lead to a lot of hard situations in life which I think can be avoided otherwise if we all learnt to sit and be and listen with each other or listen to each other sorry um and going back to this idea of we and this collective lifestyle or this collective set of values that um often feature in migrant communities um because i feel like i've been talking about it in a negative aspect this episode and i think and i realized this today as i was leaving my counseling session is like it wasn't just me in that room who was there for therapy it was like my parents and my grandparents and cousins and my siblings and my parents siblings my aunts and uncles um my future children to camp to come um future grandchildren um for my nieces and nephews um it has ripple effects right because we are living in this unit this this therapy isn't just for me it's for my whole entire family and um i think it's a very beautiful thing and I think if there wasn't that sense of obligation um, and if there wasn't this collective living um, this therapy wouldn't feel so communal and I think that's a beautiful thing that now I'm processing and healing and hopefully going to give those insights and and knowledge to those around me and for those to come and those um, behind as well um, and I think it's a wonderful wonderful thing um, and the other emotional aspect of the migrant experience that I really want to talk about is expectations um, because you know when you uproot your whole life and sacrifice so much for better opportunities for your child you know there really isn't room for thriving as I said before it's this idea of surviving right and when you're surviving as a migrant it's about establishing yourself in a way knowing that you know in a way that you can be secure knowing that there is nothing to fall back on right there's no family and friends there's like no way of getting that support and um that's hard because then no I've grown up in an environment where succeeding was an expectation right it was something that was um something that was expected to happen and so when it does when you do meet a requirement it's not seen as a big achievement it's your fulfilling your purpose and you know when success is an expectation um there is no time or space to fail um it was expected that you do things do it well and 
you know, provide that security that, you know, immigrant parents have worked so hard for. And I'm not saying this is the experience of all um, migrant families, um, but it's a common trend, right? And I think that's something, it's deeply important to understand if you want to, if you want to be a better ally and to be someone who can stand in solidarity with right because the whole thing with if you are trying to be a better ally and you know because of and this is for all of us like we're we're brought up in a particular way and because of the way that we're brought up you know we will have our blind spots and our blind spots come through in assumptions about each other right and how other people live and experience things no it doesn't matter if these assumptions are positive or negative um we have these assumptions and when you have these assumptions you actually can't listen or tune into or appreciate the actual lived experience and if you are standing in solidarity um, but your assumptions are right next to you then I believe that you truly aren't standing in solidarity um, because you're standing in in solidarity with an experience that you actually haven't taken the time to understand you think you understand and you think you have the full picture um but you don't um and so i think it's really important to kind of for to cut through those assumptions to learn how to to listen and empathize and just expose yourself to to everything so you do get the full picture and so i hope this episode kind of helps with providing that full picture and filling in the details because I feel like when it comes to the migrant experience um, there's a lot of black and white you know the outline is kind of filled but nothing is filled in detail and so it kind of leaves people to fill in the details for themselves and I know that people do that because you know people have come up to me and said the wildest things um, and that's all coming from their assumptions and you know some of it has been well-intentioned and they're just trying to help and make me feel better but it's still come from an assumed place rather than um, rather than listening and, and empathizing with what's going on and the next thing that I wanted to talk about when it comes to the emotional landscape of the migrant experience is the fact that everyone's just trying their best. Um, you know, there is no roadmap when you're moving to a new country and you're leaving a lot behind and you haven't afforded or afforded yourself the ability to look back um and so you know when you're in that headspace or when you're in that situation um there's not an opportunity to create a life where you can intentionally make the choices um and when you think about like my parents were so young when they moved to new zealand 
I mean, it wasn't like my parents would have been 20 and, you know, 27, which is like the age that I'm at now. And having children when they're still trying to grow and explore. Um, and once you have kids, um, you know, your kids are your number one priority. You're not going to have the opportunity to to work on yourself and develop yourself. Like that is a privilege that my siblings and I have because, you know, none of us have kids. We've invested a lot into our education. We've invested a lot into a uh, a life where we can have the opportunity to thrive and not just survive. Um, and here we are making fun of our, well, this is, I'm so ashamed, but yeah, my siblings and I would sometimes make fun of our parents' um, accents. Um, our poor mum and dad had to deal with our teenage, um, angst and never made us feel bad when we definitely made them feel bad for them um, not being more Western, um, the fact that we get to learn how to express ourselves, um, but they, my parents, God bless them, they do try really hard to understand what all of our kids' self-expression is, but they never had the chance to learn that, um, you know, our parents never showed in any way shape or form how hard it was raising us um you know they internalized their feelings and their struggles and just went on with it um and you know the other emotional this kind of reminds me of another emotional aspect um to the migrant experience and it's this control um and trying to grasp at whatever control you can get because there is you know a lot of areas where there is absolutely no control right like you if you're moving to a new country you have no control of you know what your kids will and won't pick up from your culture what they will and won't pick up from this new culture um you have no control of you know this new hybrid culture that your kids will learn to love and appreciate um and it's is very difficult um and the other emotional aspect is dreams and who f who has the ability to dream what can they dream about um and yeah it and again it kind of adds this other layer to the obligation because i am only able to dream because of what my parents sacrificed for me and so of course I will always be thankful and grateful um, and I know in my heart of hearts that there's no way that I could ever pay them back like on an emotional level on financial level like every kind of level there's just no way because they've given up their ability to thrive just and and just survived so we could um, and that makes it, that makes this obligation thing, I think, a little bit more 
more harder um and just even the way that we speak to each other and communicate right like my, my, the way that my parents show love is so different to how i understand it and um respond to it um and also i think the other thing and this is what i kind of want to finish on is that there is no typical norm and I'm kind of exploring this as I am trying to unpack and process like what you know I've been through um there is no norm when it comes to like the emotional landscape of the migrant experience every family has their own struggles every family will have their own nuances every family will have their own set of tensions i'm just kind of speaking to the general um and speaking to like my experience um but it is it is yeah quite hard because there is no norm right and I, and it makes it kind of harder when you're trying to unpack your experiences and, and figure out um, what to do with the next step. Um, but there is no norm and just kind of emphasizes the point even more that it's really important to listen and try to understand each other um, because every migrant experience is is different and hard and beautiful in their own unique ways and no matter what generation you're part of um, it will come with its own set of issues like you know when I think about this kind of stuff it just makes me wonder what is it that um, my children and my grandchildren will talk about when it comes to the the beautiful and heartwarming bits and the parts that are full of struggle and tension and you know what they dream for and what they hope for and um and you know when I think about this kind of stuff it just makes me want to dive even deeper into this the storytelling aspect and and try my best to get the full picture so then I can carry that full picture um, for the future generations and and hopefully not put my children in a position where they have to fill or feel like they have to fill in the details for themselves Um, it can be quite dangerous and vulnerable actually not even dangerous it can be quite vulnerable being in a position where you feel like you have to fill in the details um you could fill it in with some very misleading stuff um and I, if i think back to my life you know there are definitely some moments where i filled it in with some pretty misleading stuff like you know there was definitely one point where i thought no and it was because of the tension and i didn't have the resources and the mindset that i had now but i like I don't want anything to do with the Somali culture at all um I think it's all horrible it's all negative blah 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 like I had very strong negative associations and I think it's because you know the 
the bits of the picture that I was missing, I kind of filled in the details for myself, but from a Western point of view. And, you know, from a Western point of view, I can see how some things may come across as really um, suffocating. Like, I think from a Western point of view, the um, filial obligation filial oh my goodness filial I think that's how you mean to say it the filial obligation it does seem very um primitive and suffocating and kind of you know holds you back because there is this um sense of individuality and and living life for yourself um despite of friends and family's opinions and strangers opinions you just go out and do it for yourself anyway um and when I filled in those details and I was like operating life from that point of view it just didn't feel right and I knew that it wasn't um entirely for me and I think I'm still trying to figure it out now um and it's a hard journey and it's a long journey but like anything that's worth it um you just take it one step at a time and you keep going on um and uh yeah with all of this not ranting but hopefully all of this rambling has kind of made sense i just really wanted to speak from the heart and kind of outline and fill in the details more about the emotional landscape of the migrant experience a for you know fellow um ethnic people who are tuning into this i hope this has been a source of like validation and and solace and solidarity you know, um, and for those who aren't part of the um, ethnic community or this doesn't feature in your culture, hopefully it's provided another perspective and a deeper sense of understanding um, because, you know, we do need to understand each other if we want to be better allies and, and be there more for each other. Um, so... Thank you for tuning into this episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. Um, stay safe, everyone, and I'll catch you. Thank you for tuning in into another episode of Headscarves and Good Yarns. To keep spinning the yarns, let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Headscarves and Good Yarns or email us at headscarvesandgoodyarn at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.